Hi, and welcome to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message, where we study scripture together verse by verse. Let's jump in now for this week's message. We've created two political parties around the equal and deserving, each claiming the idea, I left a word out, the idea of equal and deserving, each claiming their idea that fairness is correct. One says it has to be equal. The other one says you get what you deserve, right? And then we fight about it. I am right. And we both say, I've got God on my side. (laughs) I got to tell you guys, this morning, I'm just teeing up for next week. Next week, we're going to hit the ball out of the park. This week is just agitate you. Fairness is, it is an impossible sliding scale of perspective. It's an illusion. If you have more than I think you should have, then that's not fair. However, in the exact same situation, I look at you and say, well, you have too much. Your mama looks at you and says, oh, my little sweet honey always needs more. Right? Right? Yeah, fairness from my perspective is so different than fairness of you as a parent. Our perception of fairness is driven by equality and merit. And everyone, say everyone, that means you too, is inconsistent in our application of fairness. So my claim this morning is God alone is fair. You with me? The problem that Paul is speaking of in Romans chapter 3 is the Jews, they feel like God is not being fair to them because as God's chosen people that we talked about last week, they should not be treated the same as the Gentiles, right? I mean, if you were a Jew, it's a legitimate argument. However, the Gentiles feel that God is not being fair to them because they don't have the same history with God as the Jews do. So God has two groups of people on the planet Earth, the Jews and the Gentiles, and both of them feel like God is treating them unfairly. Humanity has not changed in 2,000 years. We still are whining about, well, God gave so-and-so more than he gave me. I want to yell at him, shut up. It's not fair. Get over yourself. It's an illusion. All right, here we go. We are to our text. I'm going to start back in Romans chapter 3, verse 1. Read through those four verses to get to our text today, just because it's good text, and we need context for where we're at. Um, But really, like I said, next week is the the following verses are really, really good. So verse 1, it says, then what's the advantage of being a Jew? Is there any value in the ceremony of circumcision? Paul says, yes, there are great benefits. First of all, the Jews were entrusted with the whole revelation of God. Some of them were unfaithful, but just because they were unfaithful does not mean that God will be unfaithful. Pardon me, I'll read that as it's written. But just because they were unfaithful, does that mean God will be unfaithful? Of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, those are very strong words. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is what? True. God is true. As the scriptures say about him, you will be proved right in what you say and you will win your case in court. 
I had mentioned before, God alone is faithful and he is true. The implication is that everyone else, all the rest of us, we are unfaithful liars. Congratulations for a little encouragement this morning. Just don't look at your neighbor and say, you're an unfaithful liar. Don't do that. I can do that because I kind of get away with it, but don't do that to your spouse. That would be bad. But that's what Paul says to all of us. So just when you think you're really something special, remember Paul said, you're an unfaithful liar. Don't think so highly of yourself. Paul doesn't say that, but the evidence is there. So here we go. Uh, back to your, your bulletin notes. Chap, uh, point number one, if somebody was to take this bulletin and leave it somewhere, somebody else is gonna pick it up. So guard your bulletins is the point of my story this morning. Uh, don't let somebody else pick up your bulletin because they will look at it and they'll be like, oh, Desert Heights, this is their sermon outline. So the first uh, point is my sin serves a purpose. We will be heretics for sure. Okay. In the context of fairness, here is how the argument goes from uh, Paul in Romans chapter three, verse five. He says, but some may say, okay, so he has, has this whole thing of, of God is gonna be faithful even if people are unfaithful, but some may say that our sinfulness serves a good purpose. Now I'm gonna pause right there because you know we're talking about people from other churches, right? Not anybody at Desert Heights. No one here would say, well, I did such and such and such and such, and I did, I really, you know, uh, because it was the best thing that could happen. <laughs> Nobody here would do that. But some might say, our sinfulness serves a good person, for it helps people see how righteous God is. Isn't it unfair then? For him, God, to punish us, this is merely a human point of view. So just so that we all understand the reasoning here, he says, I'm a sinner and my sin helps God look righteous because if, if there wasn't my sin, then God wouldn't, there wouldn't be the contrast of God's righteousness. Therefore, it would be unfair for God to punish me for my sin because my sin serves the purpose of glorifying God. Just because some of you are not with me, that's a bad argument, okay? Okay. Our fallen, sin-filled mental state is mesmerizing. We are so bent toward serving our own narcissistic self-preservation that we become blindly illogical. Now, some of you say, well, no, I don't. That's the case in point. We do. We will blindly justify our sin and then blindly say, actually, my sin glorifies God too. <laughs> if someone was to borrow your car, imagine with me, they bring it back the next day and your car has been wrecked. But this person benevolently explains to you that this is a good thing that they wrecked your car because now you get to get a new car. Is that reasonable? No, that is not reasonable. It's like your child saying to, hey, mom, I made a really big mess in the kitchen. So now you can go show us your awesome cleaning skills and you go clean the kitchen. <laughs> this is a special kind of foolishness. <laughs> 
But we do it to God and it's like, yeah, God, my sin is wonderful. No, it's not. Never, never, never. Your sin never benefits God. Never benefits God. Your sin is always destructive. Every time. And it offers nothing, listen carefully, because some of you are, while I'm saying these words, you are justifying this. Your sin is always destructive every time. It offers nothing, nothing positive to you. Well, you know, so I'm not, no. Nothing positive to you. Nothing positive to your spouse. Nothing positive to your family. Well, Brent, I did it for my family. Your sin offers nothing positive for you, your spouse, your family, your church, your community, and particularly, your sin offers nothing positive for the kingdom of God. Never. Your sin stinks. You know that I'm borrowing that from another common phrase, right? My sin don't stink. Yes, your sin stinks. There is no positive justification for your sin. Your sin does not bring glory to God in any way. And by the way, by the way, because the argument is my, my sin contrasts with the, the righteousness of God. My sin glorifies God. Here's the deal. God was gloriously righteous long before you were a sinner. God's righteousness is completely independent of you. You're saying I'm not important? Yes! That's exactly it! You're not important. You're completely insignificant except for the fact that you stink. We wouldn't even know you were there. <laughs> Just being serious. Yeah, well, Brent, we are created in the image of God. But then you sinned and you were separated from God. Way far. You stink. Well, that's good preaching. Your sin serves no purpose. It isn't fair then for him to punish us because that's what we do. We want to deconstruct God as God. He is not fair. So if God is not fair, he has no, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm just going to go back to my notes. I'm just going to leave that. Y'all are going to wonder what's up. Okay, so he says in verse six, he says, of course not. What was the question? He says, is it, isn't it unfair then for God to punish us? Then he says, of course not in verse six. Of course not, dummy. Paul wouldn't write that. Whenever I write my translation, it's going to have words like dummy in it. It's going to be fun. Of course not. If God were not entirely fair, Paul uses the argument against them, how would he be qualified to judge the world? Because if he's not fair, then he's not qualified to judge the world. But God is absolutely fair. Verse 7. But someone might still argue, how can God condemn me as a sinner if my dishonesty highlights his truthfulness and brings him more glory. It's the same argument, just a little different word. The argument questions the virtue of fairness in God's character. 
okay? Because if we, in our finite little sinful, selfish minds, can deconstruct God, then I can be God. That's what's happening. Are you with me? If God punish me, punishes me for my sin, then God is not fair. Therefore, God is not qualified to be God, and I do not have to submit to him as God. We're back to the whole Romans chapter one issue where we'll reject the God, the God so that we can make up our own God, a God that we like. We can go out into the forest and find a stick or a stone and we can carve it into something that we like and we can say, okay, this is gonna be my God and whenever I want something, I'll ask this God for it and this God has to give it to me because it's God. That makes no sense. But that's where we're at in our text. If we can de deconstruct God, I can be God. <laughs> I will create God for myself a fair. I will create for myself a fair God, a God that I perceive as fair. But as I mentioned earlier, even as parents in a very finite setting, you have never accomplished fair with your children in your own life. So how in the world will you ever create a God who is fair? You won't, you can't, you can't, it's impossible. So here's the, the next argument against God, uh, number two, <laughs> more sin is better. <laughs> don't anybody say amen right there, please don't say amen. More sin is better, amen, preach it, brother Brent. <laughs> We're not that kind of church. <laughs> more sin is better. Please keep up with your bulletins today. Don't let them lay around in the parking lot after church. What kind of church is this? Verse eight. And some people even slander us. Paul is talking about his ministry team. Some people slander us by claiming that we are saying, the more we sin, the better it is. Those who say such things deserve to be condemned. I like Paul. He just comes out of his shoes here. Paul pivots just a little bit. He says, not only do uh, some silly people say that these things are crazy, say these crazy things, but some people have distorted the gospel message. He says, we are bringing the gospel message and people are saying, well, the gospel message that Paul and his team are preaching, they are saying that we are saying these crazy things. Did you follow? So now it's the church that's being crazy, not just people outside. Somehow, somehow, what they're accusing us of is that somehow our sinfulness gives God the opportunity to demonstrate his glory. So, yay for our sin. And because yay for our sin, God should not again hold it against us because we make him look so good. My sin is not bad because I'm using it for a good purpose. You see, there's kind of a theme going on here. But Brent, I can justify my sin. No, you can't. Never. But it makes God look better. No, it doesn't. Paul says, they say such things, uh, they, those who say such things deserve to be condemned. Condemned is a big word. It's basically, they should be judged. They should be evaluated. Where are these people who are looking at the gospel message and saying that the gospel message says we should sin more. Later on, Paul's gonna say, we sin more so that grace will abound more. 
He's going to say, no, we should look at those people's lives. They should be judged, condemned of their rebellion against God, and punished because they don't understand God's grace. If you think that your sin makes God look better, you don't understand God, you don't understand God's nature, you don't understand your sin, you don't understand your nature. You are completely lost. They should be condemned is what Paul says. Their foolish self-interest reveals their hostility toward God. They don't understand God's grace. They don't understand God's mercy. They're using their understanding of fairness to manipulate God away from being God so that they can be God. To think that there is any situation where your sin contributes to the glory of God is completely moronic. I have another word there, but I'm not gonna read it. Are you with me? I'm gonna say that again because I'm not convinced that everybody believes this. To think that there is any situation where your sin contributes to the glory of God is completely moronic. Therefore, the conclusion that God is unfair and therefore unworthy to judge and punish you is equally preposterous. God alone is fair. We'll, we'll get there in a minute. I, I really want to go on to the rest of chapter three, but chapter, the rest is going to require a little more time than what I want to allocate to the rest of service this morning, so I know I'm preaching a little bit shorter than usual. I'm not done, by the way. Don't grab your purse and keys. <laughs> Slow down. You misunderstood. I'm just not gonna carry on with uh, chapter three because, because he gets us in this point where he says, you are unfaithful, God is completely faithful. You don't understand fairness, God is completely fair. And then the next part is where he's gonna kick it out, hit it out of the park, okay? So I'm gonna stop right here, but I need you to promise one of two things, okay? I'm gonna hold you to this. No, it has nothing to do with the offering. <laughs> promise one of two things. One, you'll read the rest of the text very carefully, this afternoon, or you'll be back here on Sunday morning because you have not gotten to the important part of the text yet. The, the rest of the text of chapter three is incredibly important. So I'm gonna kind of pause for just a second, but what is our takeaway from this morning? What have we learned this morning? What do we know to be true? First, I think, did I make a slide for this? First, because I want you to get this, your perspective of fairness is always severely flawed. Brent, I disagree with you. Case in point again. <laughs> Your perspective of fairness is always, always and severely flawed. Don't trust it. Don't trust it. I appreciate people's effort to be fair, but at some time, sometimes life just happens and there's nobody keeping track of who gets what. And here's the deal, church. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Some people get more, some people get less. You know what? Whatever, whatever God gives you, serve him to the best of your ability. Honor him. You don't have time, you don't have capacity, you don't have energy to be frustrated at God because your life is what you perceive as unfair. 
Next week, I'm going to make sure that you all understand how great you actually have it, okay? Your perspective of fairness is always severely flawed. Second, you stand in no position to question whether God is worthy to punish humanity for its sin. People outside of the church often are like, wait, we have this God of the Bible that he's gonna just lord it over all. He makes all the rules. He is the one who says you have to live this way or he's gonna punish you. Yes. And they say, well, that's not fair because we didn't have a say in it. (laughs) Again, you are not important. God says light be and a creation came out of that. What have you created? A lot of problems. That's what you've done. That's all. So no, you don't get to be a part of the management team of eternity at all. You don't. Because you know what? You know what humanity did? I like to tell this because this is good. Some people say within eight hours of being in the, in the garden, Adam and Eve sinned. What would you do if you were in charge? You would sin. So no, no. We need a God who is established as God because of his character and his nature. And what we talked about last week, he's already proven himself. A God that we look to and we submit to because he's proven himself as God and we know that he is God. Sweetheart, this is not Burger King. You don't get it your way. We may have gone to Build-A-Bear way too many times to think that, well, we can create a God who's gonna be, no, you cannot. I cannot emphasize this enough to you this morning. You cannot fathom, you cannot create, you cannot even imagine a God that is so far superior as our God is. So whenever the scriptures say he is fair, he is fair. And we can either take that at face value because some of you are still saying, prove it, Brent. I can tell by the look on your face. We can either take it at face value and put our trust in God and follow the instructions of scripture, or we can say, that's not fair. I don't believe in the God of the Bible. I'll do it my own way. That's fine. Just don't call yourself a Christian. Well, that went over really well, didn't it? <clears throat> yeah. Stand, you stand in no position to question whether God is worthy to punish humanity for its sin. You are not God. God is God. It's that whole Romans 1 thing. We don't get to recreate God in our image. God also, pardon me, he already exists. And thankfully, God exists and he's not like you. God's sense of fairness is not contingent on either equality or merit. Oh, that's a whole nother idea. We're, We're gonna mess with that next week. God's sense of fairness is not contingent on either equality or merit. Well, wait a second, Brent. Then how do we know if he's fair? Because God's the one making up what is fair, not you. Well, I thought I could decide what is fair. You can't even decide what is fair for your kids. If you let them vote, they will all vote you down. You don't know what fair is. Get that out of your head. Well, I can keep it all equal, but then what about those that deserve more? If you give more to those that deserve more, then it's not equal. You're not fair. You're not. This is a very good thing because we will we'll see it in the following text that you are neither equal with God and you can do nothing to merit his mercy. I kind of got distracted there for a second, so I'm just gonna go back again. God's sense of fairness is not contingent on either equality or merit. This is a very good thing because as we'll see next week in, our, in the following text, you 
are neither equal with God. I hope that doesn't come as a surprise. You are neither equal with God, nor can you do anything to merit his mercy. You with me? You are a sinner. Your sin stinks. Your sin condemns you. Your sin condemns you to eternal punishment. Your punishment, watch this. So I'm giving you a little peek, okay? Because it's Christmas. Open a present early. Whenever I was a kid, we didn't get to open presents until Christmas unless my mom had a present under the tree that she didn't know what it was. And if I remember right, on December 3rd, one year, there was a present under the tree that was marked mom. She didn't know what it was. So we got to have Christmas. <laughs> Anyways, I digress. Your punishment, because we are sinners, was placed upon Jesus, God's own son. A little baby in a, mar in a manger. Now remember, we've been talking about fairness. You're the sinner. Okay, God comes along and says, I'm going to send my son, my little baby son here in a manger to grow up and live a completely sinless life. And then watch, watch what Isaiah does. Isaiah 53, verse 3, he says, he, who's he talking about? Jesus. He was despised and rejected. He's a baby in a manger. He comes and lives a sinless life. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked away. He was despised and we did not care. Are you getting the sense of fairness here? Yet it was our weakness that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. Are you seeing Jesus in the Garden of Eden or the Garden of Gethsemane and he's crying and he's weeping like great drops of blood? Yet it was our weakness that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles, we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we, the unfaithful liars, could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid him, laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly. Yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep in silence before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. Not, no one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal 
He was put in a rich man's grave. God's perception of fairness is not based on equality or merit. We accuse God of not being fair. God is abundantly way over fair to us. Some just choose to not believe in him. Some refuse to trust that God actually sent his son to die on the cross to pay for our sins. Some will not live by faith in God. They will choose to, to live in faith in their own understanding of what God should be as opposed to who God is. They'll not live by faith in God and then they will very fairly, they will suffer God's punishment. It is fair. But for those who do believe, for those who do not trust in the, pardon me, I'm gonna read my notes carefully. For those who do, do believe, for those who do trust in the God of the Bible, their sins, they've been washed away by the blood of Jesus. That takes a lot of faith. We trust that even though we are the sinners, Jesus bore the penalty of our sin. And we believe, we actually believe that this incredible God would wash, our way as, wash away our sins to the degree that we can stand before the throne of a holy and righteous God and him be pleased that we're there. Can you imagine that? God in his perfect righteousness being pleased that you would arrive before his throne. That is a work of the Lord Jesus Christ, not of you. You have been listening to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message. We meet on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. on Main Street in Farmington, New Mexico. If you'd like more information, please visit our website at desertheightschurch.com.